What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Heather Long, a member of the Washington Post editorial board. Today, we're talking about the recovery and the path forward in the restaurant industry. This industry was just devastated at the start of the pandemic, losing basically half the workforce or about 6 million workers back in April 2020. But since then, there's been a huge revolution in the restaurant and bar business. They've reinvented themselves time and again. Many workers have come back. And now today, it's only down about 820,000 workers. One of the key drivers, people driving this innovation and change in the restaurant industry is our guest today, the CEO of P.F. Chang's. He's one of America's youngest and most dynamic CEOs. Welcome to Post Live, CEO Damola Adamolekun. Thanks so much for having me. So there's so much to talk about, but I want to start with the issue that's on so many people's minds, and that is inflation, these rising prices particularly for meats and and various types of seafood. You obviously have to deal with this every day. Can you give us your take on, do you think that prices, uh, particularly for food, are going to stay high through the summer, or do you see any signs of relief ahead? Yeah, you know, we've, um, you know, the, the, the issue with inflation is, is one driven by, you know, supply demand. Uh, you know, to put it simply, we have a a situation where based on support from the Fed and from the uh, government stimulus, you had demand to kind of ramp back up before people could, or, or producers could could um, get the supply to match. And then on top of that, the suppliers have labor issues, so they're struggling to scale. Um, so, you know, the elevated prices, unfortunately, are, are likely to persist for, for some time. Obviously, on a year-over-year basis, the, the growth will come down because you're, you're comping over a higher uh, price period towards the end of 2021. Um, but we, we think that, um, you know, inflation, unfortunately, is something that we're going to have to deal with for a little bit. And uh, and then, of course, a lot will depend on the Fed and, and the actions that they're going to take in terms of trying to um, to rein it in without without driving us into a recession, uh, which is which is, of course, the risk. Yeah, it's a very yeah. tricky situation. Um, can you talk me through you're obviously uh, CEO of a restaurant. You have to set those menu prices and figure out how much of these costs to pass along. Uh, have you been surprised at how much of the cost uh, you're able to pass along and raise those menu prices? Or are you starting to see some pushback from consumers? You know, we've been a little conservative on on the price actions. Um, we want to not uh, create a long-term, you know, traffic problem in trying to solve. An inflation problem that we hope you know gets under control at some point. So um, we've managed. Uh, we basically look at our our you know our fleet of restaurants individually. We see what the situation is in terms of labor increases, in terms of cost produ- increases, uh, and and in each individual market, and we make adjustments on a restaurant by restaurant basis. But 
our goal is to, you know, we've, we've taken some of the hit in our P&L and we've passed some along in terms of prices. And, and our goal is to be balanced and not, you know, overshoot and, and create new problems and trying to deal with, with, with one problem. Yeah. What's the hardest item to get right now? Some people tell me chicken wings have been a real problem, but for you all, is there is there kind of one thing that that is really still a big supply issue? You know, actually, the the hardest things to get for us have been on the alcohol side. There's some products that are imported that have just been impossible to to get based on import issues, based on uh, on, on some supply chain issues on the beverage side. So we've had some some products that we've just been out of stock on uh, certain bears that we wanted to carry, some Asian bears that we import. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, on the food side, we've been able to pretty much get everything we need. Just the prices have gone up tremendously, right? And in, in certain categories, chicken is one, um, flank is another, wok oil. Um, we've had meaningful price increases based on, again, the supply demand imbalance. And then when things are imported, there's also another, you know, uh, price increase based on the difficulty importing that we've seen, um, which again, is a lot of that is driven by labor shortages. So it's across the board, uh, but we're managing it. Uh, we have great relationships with our suppliers, and um, we've been able to, to manage through without, again, being uh, you know, too aggressive on price to try to make up for that. Yeah. Um, and I guess, have you had to shift your suppliers, like maybe you used to get from certain countries, and now you, you're shifting to other countries? What's been some of the most effective ways to, to manage supply chain for you all? Yeah, no, there's some of that, you know, there's some sort of, uh, you know, we typically keep more than one supplier for a given product. So there's some shifting amongst the suppliers we already have relationships with. There's been some instances where we've had to introduce new suppliers based on um, lack of availability with our existing. Uh, but but the key is communication. It's dialogue. It's meeting with them frequently. So we know where, where they're at, where they're likely to have issues going forward so we can get ahead of it versus trying to react once you already have a problem. Um, so it, it comes down to relationship building, communication, uh, being honest with, with each other um, and, you know, trying to help them where we can and, and, and vice versa. Uh, so, so it's a relationship. It's, it's uh, you know, we've had relationships with our suppliers for a long time and uh, we've been able to, able to manage through just by, um, again, communicating. How concerned are you about a recession this year? I know we're in the restaurant industry. You're finally feeling more and more recovered uh, this spring. but as you mentioned, so many headwinds right now in the world and certainly in the United States. Uh, can you say a little bit about how you see the recession outlook in the next year? Well, the problem is that, um, you know, if you look today, uh, you know, em employment for the economy is very strong. GDP growth is still strong. Consumer spending is, is strong. So you wouldn't say that uh, it looks like a recession today, but the problem, of course, is inflation is, is running away. It's increasing month over month. And the last time we had inflation this high was the late 1970s, early 1980s, when it got to, uh, you know, be 10% plus. And, and Paul Volcker is famous for, for bringing it down. But when he brought it down, he also induced a recession, right? That's, that's the trade-off, because the way you bring down inflation is to reduce spending in the economy via higher interest rates and, um, you know, less stimulation uh, from the Fed. Uh, and the trade-off is when you drive down consumer spending, that's what drives GDP. So GDP comes down. That's what drives income. So you see incomes come down. Uh, so it's a delicate balance the Fed has to strike between trying to bring down inflation without inducing a recession. And, you know, it's hard to tell how that plays out. Obviously, their goal is to not uh, create a recession, but could they overdo it and, and, and tip the scales? You know, that's that's certainly a possibility, right? So, um, 
you know, we, we hope not, but but there's there's things to watch. Inflation's one, consumer sentiment's another, also at the lowest levels we've seen since uh, the late 2000s at present. So um, we're not there yet, but but uh, there's certainly risk, and we have to watch how the Fed manages the economy, and we have to kind of watch uh, what goes on with the consumer here in the next couple quarters. What would you say your biggest say- challenges for the year ahead? It's, it's a macro picture. Um, you know, we've done a lot in terms of managing our own business to, to create uh, a situation where we feel good about where we are. You know, we invested in a lot of the off-premise dining solutions prior to the pandemic. It was part of the thesis when, you know, I led the acquisition of the business on behalf of uh, Paulson & Company, the principal owner. Uh, so we did a lot in terms of getting our own business where it needs to be. Uh, we're, we're digitally oriented. We have a great experience within our restaurants. Uh, We've invested in people, invested in technology. So, you know, we've managed, I think, the business very well. But but of course, we're we're beholden to to consumer spend, uh, to macroeconomics. If if you're in a recession, all businesses are going to suffer, ours included. Um, So it's it's not something we control. I'm not the Fed chairman, but we are watching it. And uh, and, um, you know, that that's probably the biggest risk to ours and, and to other restaurant businesses over the next, I'd say, 12 to 24 months. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious to get your take on how customers have changed. You know, pretty much everyone has been changed in some way by this pandemic. You know, are they ordering different menu items or having different habits? Do they tip differently? What are you seeing as customers return in mass? How different they are? Well, I think the number one thing you've seen is that you know the things that they've learned during the pandemic they haven't forgotten, right? So a lot of people shifted to off-premise delivery uh, delivery ordering. They started using QR code menus. Maybe they, they would have never done that before, you know, before the pandemic. They got used to it. It's easy. Um, you know, reservations, they, they want to make reservations digitally now. And so this sort of uh, digital orientation that, that increased during the pandemic out of necessity, uh, we're, we're, we've seen that hold even as people come back into the restaurants, right? So the dining business has come back. It's, it's back to kind of pre-pandemic levels for us. But the off-premise business, the digital business, the engagement with technology, you know, that hasn't come down since uh, since we've kind of opened things back up in the restaurants. Uh, so, you know, we're seeing sort of uh, a return to dine-in, but also a retention of some of the changes that took place during the pandemic, which has uh, created a different world, of course, in terms of uh, the overall picture of the guest. Yeah, that's really fascinating that uh, I would have expected some of that takeout business to reduce, but it sounds like that's still going strong even as people are coming back and dining in person. I know that you personally have really pushed for a lot of that takeout change. Uh, What makes you confident that that's going to continue to stay strong, that there won't be a big shift back? Well, so, you know, my focus on digital is not so that I want to shift people from the restaurants to digital. My, my whole point from the beginning was I want to be able to engage with the guests however they choose to interact, right? So if the guest wants to come into the restaurant, we're perfectly set up to serve them there. If they want to order digitally on an, on an app, we have that now. We didn't when we bought the business, but we've invested in that and created that ecosystem. Um, so I'm not pushing guests one way or another. I just want to be great at each channel. So whatever they choose to do, we can... Uh, we can, you know, meet their needs and 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 have them leave very satisfied. Um, now, in terms of what we're seeing, so the, the one part of the takeout business that's come down is the non-digital piece, right? Mm-hmm. So people who who are just calling or showing up, that's down, uh, you know, pretty meaningfully. But the digital piece keeps growing every quarter, even relative to the pandemic, where 
We're doing more digital transactions now. Um, and we forexed our digital business since pre-COVID. Uh, so that's where the growth is, is that, again, the, the engagement with technology, ordering on an app, ordering on the website or, or the third party apps, uh, that's all growing and looks to continue to grow as more people get you know, used to that uh, experience and fold that into their daily habits. We're seeing uh, that digital off-premise business uh, even continue to grow since, since, uh, since COVID. Fascinating. What kind of customer is doing the digital ordering? Is it, I don't know, I would imagine stressed out parents maybe who just want a quick dinner meal for the family or, or, or would I be surprised yeah. that it's people across the board? You know, that's the thing. I think pre-COVID, it was more people like me, younger people who kind of grew up in the digital environment and were using Uber Eats since it came out or, or DoorDash and were used to that. But during the pandemic, everybody had to kind of figure that out, right? Because you couldn't go into a restaurant and you know, after a couple of times of trying to call or, you know, and they tell you to download the app, maybe you finally download it and you find that it's really easy. Uh, it makes your life simpler. You can plan it. You can pick a time um, and then you start using it. And, you're, you know, you're not going to now delete it because you're used to it and you understand it and, and it's made your life better. Um, so, you know, I think right now it's broad based, right? Everybody's kind of picked up the habits and, and gotten used to technology and, and you know, not just the app, but also things like the QR code, right? That was a kind of niche technology a few years ago, but now it's everywhere and people are used to it. They know how to use it. Um, and, uh, and, and so the, the, the use case is, is much broader. It's not just young people, it's older people, it's parents, it's uh, people who uh, otherwise would have maybe not tried it, but now are, are you know, have it on their phones and um, are comfortable with it. So, you know, we see it, we see it pretty broad. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you're almost making the case that the restaurant sector, and obviously your company is part of it, could could grow to be even bigger than it was pre-pandemic if you're able to do both fill your restaurants with people and continue to do this digital business, this takeout business. Um, is that sort of what you see the future of the restaurant industry growing into? Yeah, and 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 again, that was the thesis when I led the acquisition of this company is that the dining business could grow and then there was this off-premise opportunity that didn't that wasn't even tapped yet because when we bought this business they didn't have an app they didn't have uh the the online ordering on the website they didn't have all these you know the, the separate area in the restaurants to to run an off-premise operation out of you know there hadn't been any investment um and our thesis was that you could grow the dining business and also grow the off-premise business they don't have to uh fight with each other they're they're synergetic if you can manage them both correctly um, and that's going to lead to overall, you know, increased sales in each restaurant and increased profitability across the fleet. Um, and obviously we didn't predict COVID, so that really accelerated the off-premise business. But fortunately, we had invested uh, in all the things that we wanted to, to have prior to COVID. Um, but I think that's true for uh, restaurants who take the time and make the investments necessarily to, to, to build um, you know, a great operation in the restaurant and a great operation for people who want to engage outside the restaurant, right? So that's yeah. what we call omni-channel, channel agnostic is, is something I've said in interviews, but, you know, I want to not care how the guest chooses to interact. We just want to have a great product uh, for them, regardless of how they want to interact with the brand. And, and that, I think, is the future of, of the restaurant business. I want to ask you about hiring, but first let me throw in, we've had a lot of um, our Washington Post readers who've written in questions for you. This one comes from Jeffrey Arnold in California, and he asks, uh, will customers accept higher menu prices for delivery, you know, to offset the delivery fees and uh, that would come with, with the takeout or delivery option? 
Um, yeah, I, I think to a degree. Um, at the end of the day, though, there's there's going to be limits to that, and I think people are finding that out, uh, especially the third party delivery companies whose business is is um, you know completely tied to the willingness to pay a little more for for delivery. Um, there's a couple of things. Number one, I think if you can get a direct relationship with the guest, i.e. they come to PF Chances app and website instead of going to a third party, then it's easier to keep the price more manageable because there's there's no middleman that's taking a cut out of the transaction. So one way we try to manage the cost of the consumer is to build a direct relationship, um, which manages that cost and makes it easier for us to fulfill the delivery and, and at a price that the, the guest is, is comfortable with. Um, the other thing we're working on that that is related to this is a subscription program for our biggest fans, right? So people who love PF Chang's and order frequently, you know, very soon you'll be able to sign up for a monthly uh, subscription that will be kind of a price per month, and then it'll be free delivery, extra points. So so each transaction will be much more affordable because you uh, you use PF Chang's too often, and it'll be a better economic uh, uh, arrangement for the guest because they can kind of you know, pay this monthly fee and then free delivery and they can order as frequently as they like. And I think that's a way, uh, at least a brand like ours that has that that direct relationship with guests um, can can manage that as well. Uh, so, you know, people are willing to pay a little more for delivery. I think there are limits on it and then there's ways to be creative to make it, um, you know, less of a burden on the guest. And, and these are the things that, that we're working on. Yeah. What do you wish people knew about these third-party apps, the Uber Eats and the DoorDashes of the world? Um, you know, you obviously can see how it impacts your sector and, and the workers in your sector. What do you wish, as people ordered, they knew um, when they choose to use a third-party app versus going direct? You know, I have nothing against them. We we have great relationships with, with all of them, um, DoorDash, Uber Eats, et cetera. We have, we have great relationships with, with each one. Uh, it's it's you know the reality is some people have a relationship with the brand and they you know love PF Chang's and want to use our app and some people are, are more agnostic they they just want food and they want to scroll and see what their all all their options are and they'll use a DoorDash I, I think that's fine I think they bring more guests into the uh, into the picture um, so so nothing you know inherently negative to say about them but but there's a cost to that that's the point right there's there's they have a they have to um, you know build an economic model that works for them, which means they're going to have to take some, you know, incremental price relative to ordering directly from a restaurant. So it's it's going to be a little more expensive um, and it's going to eat a bit into the profits of the restaurants, right? They'll charge the consumer and they'll charge the restaurant. So um, it's an aggregator. Uh, you know, there's again, there's aggregators in all industries. It's not a problem. It's, it's I think, natural to have a function like that. Uh, but there is a cost. And if, if a consumer wants to manage, you know, their per their the, the cost to them per per order, then they're going to want to go direct. Um, and you know, obviously, restaurants would prefer not to pay the fees, so they're going to want that relationship as well. So, um, I think there's a place for third-party apps. No, you know, no uh, fundamental problem with their existence. I, I, you know, it's just going to be a trade-off in terms of cost and uh, what whether you want you know what you want and who you want to build a relationship with, or whether you you want to kind of search and look at what all your options are in an area, which is where they're they're the most helpful. Yeah. Let's talk about hiring. Um, how many unfilled positions do you have at the moment? I think at some point last year you had said it was about 2,000, which you know sounds like a pretty big number. I know you're also growing and opening new locations. Um, how many positions do you need to fill right now? 
Yeah, it's, it's still somewhere around there. We, we have about 15,000 people who work for us in the restaurants and, um, you know, we'd be, you know, about 17,000 if we were fully staffed. So it's, it's still around around that number. To your point, a lot of that is new locations we've opened and, and, and new locations we're planning to open that we're uh, looking to uh, fill positions for. So, you know, it's a tough labor market. You know, you have unemployment at, at, at record lows and, um, you know, people have a lot of options. So you have to make sure that uh, you you have it as an attractive a proposition for employers as, as or employees rather uh, as you possibly can. Um, so that's something we're, we're working on all the time. Uh, we rolled out a new hourly PTO program in the beginning of the year that's been really impactful and the feedback's been tremendous from our employees. So things like that, just just making sure that um, we're listening to them, we're thoughtful about the not just the wages, but but the other parts of working for a company, the relationship with your managers, the culture, the um, focus on 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 you know on the the work life balance and other elements of people's lives that you know, like PTO um, that mean a lot to them. So it's it's a challenge, but something that we've been able to uh, manage through so far. Yeah. What's the hardest position to hire for these days? Uh, the kitchen's harder than the front of house for us, right? So um, it's, it's yeah, it's hard to find great chefs. It's hard to find people with the experience. Granted, our, our culinary uh, operation is more complicated than most and, and requires a higher level of uh, capability than most. Um, you know, we're, we're cooking in a wok, we're hand rolling dim sum and dumplings and hand rolling sushi. And so the, the kitchen requires, you know, higher skill level, higher training, et cetera. Um, so that's all. That's the that's the hard. Those are the hardest positions to fill. Is is you know great chefs that um, you know can can you know manage the walk and manage the different parts of the kitchen operation and uh, and that's that's where most of the struggle has been. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about what kind of incentives you're using to to help hiring from the back of house, as it's often called in the restaurant business, the chefs and whatnot? I mean, I've seen some restaurants try the tip sharing idea to try to distribute more tips, not just to servers, but to back of house staff as well. Um, some have obviously done retention bonuses and these sorts of things, obviously pay increases. What, what's been some effective techniques for you all? Well, there's a few things. So, um, and I'll talk about the kind of compensation piece, but there's a huge non-compensation piece that I think is also really important. Uh, but in terms of compensation, you know, we just try to be more proactive about looking at each market and seeing, because so, in some markets, wages have increased, you know, 40, 50% in the last couple of years. So it's, if you're, if you're not proactively looking at that, then you're just underpriced relative to the market and you're not going to be able to, to hire people. Um, so we're, we're be really conscious about looking market by market to make sure we're competitive on the wage rate that we haven't been left behind. Um, and, th and that's important. Uh, you know, and, and aside from that, we, you know, we have a bonus program in our restaurants that, uh, you know, pays out based on the performance of the restaurant. So it's directly tied to profitability of that restaurant. So if, if they have a great year, we want them to share in the, the benefit. Um, we made sure that extended to the kitchen staff as well as kitchen managers. Uh, so that's been a huge win. Um, it's something we rolled out last year. Um, and then, you know, this PTO program has been a huge win for the chefs, right? So now they can take, you know, two weeks of PTO and uh, and that's um, that's something they didn't have before. And it lets them, uh, you know, because it's, it's, it's a difficult job. So it lets them have some time to themselves to recharge, spend time with their family, et cetera. And that's, uh, again, something we rolled out at the beginning of this year and, um, you know, early, early uh, kind of uh, comments and, and, you know, returns on that have been very positive. Um, yeah, but besides all that, I think, you know, at the end of the day, people want to work for a brand that's 
they they trust to take care of them. That's thinking about them. You know, you, you got Howard Schultz at Starbucks come in and immediately kind of get back to that ethos, which they might have lost along the way, but is why they were successful early on. Um, and and people want to work for a brand, a brand that's winning, that's growing, that's thriving, that's successful. Uh, so all the things we're doing to build a better business ultimately is going to benefit our employees in addition to our investors and make us a brand that people want to come join and work for, like, you know, like a Chipotle that's had great success and it's easy to hire when you're growing and winning and uh, have the capability to make investments in your people. Um, so I think, number one, build a great company. Number two, uh, make sure that uh, all all stakeholders share in that success, including all of your employees. And that's uh, that's how I approach it. And that's how we're focused um, on, on building this business. Yeah. Um, let me ask you one more on that. Uh, it, for ser on the server side of things, there's obviously a big debate in the OAs in the United States about that tipped wage, that most servers get that $2.13 an hour, and then they make most of their pay with the tips they're getting. Um, do you think it's time for America to do away with this tip wage concept and go to something more like other parts of the world have, where you just get paid a normal wage if, if you're a server? Well, if, if you went to the way some of the parts of the world did it, then you might not have tips because a lot of parts of the world don't tip. Um, so it's it's a, it, basically we have a tip heavy culture, um, which is, I think, a good thing. Um, and then when we look at culinary or, or hospitality, rather, uh, compensation, we look at the whole the whole thing. Like, what are they uh, paid in terms of an hourly rate? Rate? What are they paid in terms of tips? And that's what they make. That's what they walk away with. And in fact, a lot of waiters prefer the tip because it's cash then versus waiting it to, you know every two weeks to get a paycheck. Um, so I don't know that we need to change our system. Um, it seems to me like the fundamental question is what's the what's the total, right? Because if the if the um, if the total adds up to a number that people are happy with, they're going to be uh, happy with the job. You know, what portion is tip versus, uh, you know, payroll is, I think, less relevant. And in fact, a lot of people prefer more of it to come from tips. Um, so, you know, I, I, no, I don't think we have a structural problem. I think um, it's just uh, it's based on our tip culture and, and, and how, you know, our restaurant industry has evolved. Yeah. Let me ask you one more from our audience. Uh, this question comes up a lot. I think when people look at very successful restaurant chains like yours, TC Wang asks, will franchise restaurants take over the local mom and pop type restaurants? No. Um, unfortunately, though, the reality is a lot of mom and pops really struggled through the pandemic and it's unfortunate. You know, I think that um, a lot of them have struggled more than chains because they, they have fewer resources to make some of the investments that were required to get people through the pandemic. Um, you know, we had the restaurant revitalization fund that I, has run out of funds. I think there's some conversation about replenishing it in, in, at the house, but, you know, we'll see. But I, I know a lot of mom and pops could, could use that, uh, could use that, you know, uh, support. Um, so, you know, my hope is I, I think it's healthy to have independence. You know, restaurants are the great equalizer in a lot of ways. You know, my first job is in a restaurant and um, it's a place where you can uh, learn a lot of skills with people and management and uh, work ethic. Um, and if you start a restaurant, it's a place where if you have a good idea and you have a good operation, you can, uh, you know, build a, a good life and a good career for yourself. Um, and if you work at a restaurant, you can move up the chain. You know, I've got, uh, you know, our COO has been here 30 years, started as a bartender and, and you have a lot of those stories in the restaurant industry. So. I think it's important that independent restaurants continue to thrive. 
Um, I hope that, you know, uh, there's support to help them get through the pandemic. And a lot of them are still kind of working their way through. Um, and I'm hopeful that, you know, there'll be a, a thriving independent restaurant uh, industry in this country for, for you know, for the, the foreseeable future. Yeah. And lastly, I want to ask you, you know, you're a very prominent, you're young, you're a black CEO in America at a moment when we're trying to increase uh, diversity and across the management ranks in America. Um, what would your message be to young people, particularly young people of color who might be looking at you right now saying, how can I do what Demola has done? Um, you know, my, my message would be to, uh, you know, dare to believe effectively. You know, I think that uh, anything's, you know, I'm an, I'm an immigrant. I moved to the country when I was when I was nine. And one thing my dad always said was that in this country, if you uh, focus and uh, work hard and be the best at whatever it is that you do, whether it's business or law or medicine or whatever, um, if you're the best at whatever it is that you do, that you can you can be very successful. Um, and, I, and I hold that to be true, you know. The country has its issues and its history, et cetera. But uh, generally speaking, there's a lot of meritocratic opportunity in this country. So find the thing that you love, find the thing you're passionate about, the thing you do well, um, set a really high standard for yourself and uh, kind of dare to believe that you can be great at it and, and go for it. Right. There's, um, you know, there's there's opportunity and there's uh, there's a chance to be great if, if, if that's something that you want to shoot for. Yeah, good advice. Yeah. All right, I have to ask, last question. What is your favorite P.F. Chang's menu item? What's your go-to? Yeah, the oolong sea bass is my is my go-to. I'm a, I'm a, I like fish and, and our sea bass is phenomenal. I think it's it's uh, one of the best, best items on our menu. And then we had an LTO this past year, the short rib, that was also fantastic. So if you haven't tried that, make sure to go to a restaurant and try both of those dishes. Yeah, is the short rib going to stay around? That sounds pretty good. We kept it. It was so popular that we actually did keep it. So it's still on the menu and uh, we'll be going forward. So that's, uh, that's a great one. Well, thank you so much, Damola, for joining us today and sharing your insights into how P.F. Chang's has evolved and what the future might look like for the economy and the restaurant industry. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, Go to WashingtonPostLive.com. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.